those of you who have been around for a while, you know one of my favorite analogies or metaphors for true Christianity, uh, how to live that life, how to be a good steward, as we've been talking about the last week or so, um, is the Olympic runner. It's not serendipitous that he's, on, that he's on the gold medal stand. It's not by chance. It's not an accident. He's there. He's pointed at this his whole life. Um, probably as a runner, since he could walk, he has started to, in one sense, get ready for that gold medal stand. Endless miles, countless calluses, oceans of sweat. If you're familiar with your Bible, you know how Paul talks about this, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says that he runs, he not only runs, he runs to what? Win, right? So if you're going to get on the gold medal stand, it's something you have to give your life to. I mean, and a perfect analogy. If you're going to be serious about walking with Christ, if you're going to be a faithful steward, you have to give yourself away to it. There's just no question about it. And the Apostle Paul gives us this beautiful Beautiful text here in 1 Corinthians 9. It's God's exhortation in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Hebrews 11, famous uh, chapter of faith. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Wrote a book about it because it changed my life. Hebrews 11, 6 changed my life. You must not only believe that God is good, you must believe what? That He's what? A rewarder. He's not just good, He's a rewarding God. If you choose to go with Him... <laughs> you find out just how good he is, just how a rewarding God he is. You know, you get down there to, that's Hebrews 11, you get down to chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and God says, okay, this is how I am. This is what I'm calling you to, a life of faith. And he says, you can do it, right? He says, you can do it, so lay aside every encumbrance. So I'm going to ask you, are you laying aside every worldly encumbrance? It's God's command. Are you laying aside every worldly encumbrance that you may run with the Apostle Paul? Not only run, but run to win. This needs to be our mindset. I mean, every day we roll out of bed, this needs to be our mindset. I, I fear that it not often is. This is what we're called to. This is what New Testament Christianity actually looks like. He says, run the race with endurance that's been set before you. Okay? Run the race with endurance. The Greek word here is the word agon, which we get the, the, the English word agony. I mean, are you getting the picture here? We are supposed to expend great amounts of energy to run with Christ. It's not just coming to church sometimes when it's not too inconvenient. That is not biblical Christianity. Now, if, if your Christianity has devolved into that, you know, you prayed a magic prayer, you got wet maybe, and you come to church if it's, yeah, it doesn't get, it doesn't get in the way of your schedule. That's not Christianity. What I'm going to talk to you about this morning is biblical Christianity. It's running. It's running. And as we talked about two weeks ago, it's running to finish to finish well, to finish well, to be ready to look into the eyes of God incarnate and hear what he says. What is it that we want to hear? Matthew chapter 25, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Are you working for that? Or is it just kind of academic and theoretical? Is it, is it who you are? Is it how you live? 
So, are you running or coasting? Are you running or meandering? What does your Christianity look like when you roll out of bed on Monday morning? What does it look like? Are you in the race? Are you just a religious spectator? You know, if we read our Bibles, realize, we realize that being a religious spectator irritates God greatly. You know, the Old Testament Jews just devolved into becoming religious spectators. We know how he dealt with them. So my exhortation this morning, as it has been for the last two weeks, has been to fix our eyes on Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. I'm extending this look at the new heaven and new earth because I want to encourage you, continue to encourage you to take the long view. Obviously, the church does not preach about hell enough. There's no question about that, the modern church. But we also don't preach enough about heaven. This, you know, as, I, as I've been saying to you the last few weeks, your heaven view should dominate your worldview. And if it doesn't dominate your worldview, you're doing it wrong if you call yourself a Christian. Your heaven view must dominate your worldview. It must simply dominate it. And if it doesn't, there's no question that you are doing it wrong. I shared this verse with you, these verses, a couple of times the last couple of weeks, but they're so foundational. So here they are again, 2 Corinthians 4.18. Look not at the things which are seen, but what? You already know. Look at the things that are not seen, right? Get your focus off of this. Look at that. Look at him. Point at the Bema seat, right? Pointing at the Bema seat. The second verse, Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that what? Are on the earth. Are you doing it? Is that real life for you? Is that practical for you? Are you like this? You're just, you're just so earthbound. You cannot look up. You cannot look up. That you might be a faithful steward with all that God has given you. What must our lives be about if we're going to run? Jesus Christ. Simple, right? You gotta love Christianity. It's just simple. I look at Him. I love Him. I give myself away to Him. I obey Him. I do whatever He says. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what my friends say. I don't care what they say at the university. I love Him. I believe Him. I do what He says, right? That, again, biblical Christianity. It's not looking around, it's looking at God every day, looking at God. You know, people ask me, Jim, you're old, you're, you're really old. Do you, have any, do you have any secrets to impart? You have to look at God. And if you're bored with God, you're not converted. I'm just telling you, if, if, you're, if you're bored with God, if you're bored with the biblical God, you have not met Him yet. Now, how, how, do, you, how, how do you remain a, a good steward? You look at God. You look at God in His Word. And you be in awe all the time. And if you're not in awe, you have to cultivate awe. You have to work for awe. Right? And if you're short on awe, it's on you. It's not on God. He says, here I am. You know, here I am. You can have me if you want me. And most of mankind, we know, just walks away. What an insult, right? What an insult to your Creator. Can a creature give a greater insult to the Creator 
than to simply walk away. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases Hebrews 12 too. Let me read it to you. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. Okay? So I'm asking you to examine yourself as you hear me speak today. And then I, fin- I love the way he finishes this. Eugene Peterson. Where you are headed with that exhilarating finish in and with God. Some of you aren't looking at the finish line. We've been talking about this the last two weeks. You're supposed to be looking at the golden shore. That's supposed to inform and define the way you live today because you're looking at the golden shore, right? That's, that's, the, that's the biggest variable in your calculus, the golden shore. The day I'll look into the eyes of God himself. So the Olympian spends his whole life pointing at the metal platform. That's what I'm calling you to. That's, let me just say it this way. That's what God is calling us to in the Bible. We're like an Olympic athlete shooting for the gold medal stand. Do you love him? Is he worth that to you? <laughs> is he worth that to you? Let's think about how much we were valued in his eyes. That God took on flesh and became a man. And you know the story. So last week, I think it was last week, I shared Jonathan Edwards, famous American preacher, 18th century preacher, his 22nd resolution for life. He wrote this in his 20s, you guys. I don't know how old you are. He wrote this in his 20s. So let's see if you stack up. And even you old people. Resolved, he writes, to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that I can think of. (laughs) Okay. Man, he had it right. He had it right. This is the way Christians are supposed to think, right? This is the way we're supposed to think. So today's message will largely echo last week's message. And just to review very quickly, the parable of the Minas, it can represent um, and be equal to the opportunity of the one life God gives us. You know, he gave one Minas to each, each slave, right? So we have, we have an opportunity to maximize our stewardship, no matter what our giftedness is like. It doesn't matter what our abilities and talents and giftedness, that's not what this is about. This is about the life. What are you going to do with your life, right? You know, your life is a gift, and you're going to give an accounting of it. You are a steward of this gift. Your life doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. He gave it to you. He can take it back any time. He can take it back. Anytime. So each man got one minna, one life to invest for God. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with your life? Everyone gets one life. There's perfect equality here. Every man can choose to maximize his life for God or not. It's your call. It's your call. The parable of the talents represents the individual giftedness God has granted to us. Right? Some, some guys are five talent guys. Some are two. Um, you remember what the text said, Matthew 25, 15? 
you are accountable according to your own ability. Like, I'm not accountable, as I shared with you, my favorite preacher in the U.S., John Piper. I'm not accountable to be John Piper. I'm accountable to be Jim Albright in Christ. So you've you got to love this. You're only accountable for what God has poured into your life. You're accountable for that. You don't have to be some great other person. You're supposed to be who you are in Christ and live that Hebrews 11 life. So I want to cover a couple of questions that I historically have gotten when I teach on these issues, uh, these parables that talk about reward. Um, first question, what about the guy in Luke 19 who hid his minna in a handkerchief? Was he a believer who lost everything but was saved by fire? 1 Corinthians 3, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Some say he was a believer, but it's obvious that he is not. He is not a believer. His actions reveal his contempt for God. We talked about it last week. He did nothing to glorify God in his life. He did nothing. He took his gift and he put it in a handkerchief. He didn't care at all that his life was a stewardship. He didn't care. He didn't care. It meant nothing to him. This gift of life. You know, you just wait. one day you just realize you're conscious, right? Do you remember that day? Do you remember the day you realized you were conscious? How did you get here? Why are you here? You know, the thinking person has to go back to an adequate first cause. This guy, this guy, he just didn't care. His words revealed his contempt for God. He effectively called God a thief. And the clincher here is God calls him a worthless slave. God never calls one of his own a worthless slave. So this guy just wasted his life. He disregarded what God had given him. The second question I get sometimes with regard to these parables is the distinction between salvation and reward. And that's why I wanted to sing, uh, He Will Hold Me Fast. We understand that salvation is a sovereign gift of God. Um, but we also learn in the book of James that if we have salvation, what? Stewardship will what? It will flow out. Faith without works is a joke. It's a joke. Don't insult God out in the world by calling yourself a Christian if you're not doing the works of God. You're insulting God. You're storing up wrath. That's exactly what you're doing. Romans chapter something, two. You're storing up wrath. It's such an insult. Your average professed Christian, it's just such an insult to God. We claim to be His, and then we, many go out in the world and live just like the world. Without one qualm of conscience. Salvation is the free gift of God. It is the sovereign work He has put in our hearts. God has saved us, but you may remember Ephesians 2.10, but we are called to walk in the good works which He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, you know, take stock, take inventory. Are you walking in the good works that God has prepared? Are you obeying Him? Are you mindful about your stewardship? And I want you to think about this. God's done all the heavy lifting. He's elected us. He's atoned for us. He's regenerated us. He indwells us. And He calls us to the work. 
He's doing all the heavy lifting, and then he says he will reward us for uh, a gazillion eternities, even though he's done all the heavy lifting. It's really astonishing if you stop and think about it. The third question I often get is, what did I mean about our works or stewardship impacting the dimensions of our eternity? This is a new thought for some people. We saw last week that there is proportionality to the rewards of God. The ten men a guy maximized his stewardship, and he will rule over ten cities forever. The five men a guy, he got a good return, but not a maximum return, and he will rule over five cities. There will be greater authority, satisfaction, and joy for the ten men a guy than the five men a guy. But not in the sense that the five-minute guy is not also full of satisfaction and joy in eternity. But here's what I want to, I'm going to try to explain to you. But the ten-minute guy's capacity is greater. If you read theologians, if you read sound theologians about this, the word capacity just keeps coming up. The word capacity, right? The ten-minute guy, because he maximized uh, the investment God had in him, his capacity, this is, this is my... All right, this should give you goosebumps. I don't know if you're prone to that. I am. The 10-minute guy will see farther into the greatness of God than the 5-minute guy. God is our reward, right? God is our reward. I mean, this is breathtaking stuff. Let me, let me share a few more things with you. Edwards writes this, Jonathan Edwards. The saints are like so many vessels of different sizes cast into the sea of happiness, where every vessel is full. This is eternal life for a man ever to have his capacity filled. The five minute guy, his vessel is full, but it's not as large as the ten minute guy. My, my point in saying this, I hope it motivates you at least to some small degree that the more faithful your stewardship is, the deeper you will go with God forever. Th to me, this is, this is you, know, you know, you get all these silly things about heaven. People talk about God is the glory of heaven. <coughs> and getting a deeper look, a deeper relationship with him is really the ultimate reward of the new heaven and the new earth. Edwards again, in heaven, the holiest of saints have a greater capacity to see further into the divine perfections of God than do others. So they penetrate further into the vast and infinite distance that is between the creature in God. I mean, if that doesn't get you excited, I, don't, I, I, don't, I think you're just religious. I mean, I think you're just a religious person. And I think, you know, Christianity feels that adequate first cause question in your life and your parents did it and the culture seems to do it, at least to some degree anymore. But it's not real. It's not real, right? It's not real on a daily basis. In the minutia of your life, it's not real, right? I pray that's not true of anyone here. You know, Edwards... He's using this uh, bucket metaphor, this vessel metaphor, I think because of Revelation 22.1. There is a river of water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and the Lamb. Who doesn't want as big a vessel as they can carry to that river, right, that flows from God? Uh, hey, beloved, I admit there's, a, there's, mis there's some mystery here. 
but I really hope I can hand off to you some kind of biblical perspective on how your stewardship upon the earth will impact the dimensions, parameters, scope, and proportions of your forever. We, we talked about it a few weeks ago. I don't think we think about heaven enough. We don't, um, yeah, dream about it enough. We don't fantasize about it enough. I think if we did, we would be more effective out there. We would be more effective in the world. Some don't like this teaching that uh, the 10-minute guy is going to have a bigger vessel. You know why you don't like it? If you don't like it? Because you're thinking with your sinful mind. You think, well, how can I be happy if that guy gets more of God than I do? Right? <laughs> you're just thinking with your sinful mind. We talked about it the last two weeks. There'll be no sin in heaven. If you're in heaven, there'll be no sin. There'll be no envy. There'll be no jealousy. Right? You'll be full, and you'll be happy that your brother is more full because that's how it is in the new heaven and new earth. He's got a bigger vessel, and you're happy for him. It brings you great joy. But what I'm saying to you is you, dis you determine how big your vessel is. You determine that with your stewardship. It's what the parables are relaying to us. So you heard me read that text, 2 Corinthians. I don't know if you're still there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You heard me read it. Verses 1 through 8. Paul's basically saying to live as Christ, to die as gain. You know the famous verse. If you don't know this verse, you have to know this verse. Philippians 1.21. You have to know this verse and you have to live this verse. If you have to say it to yourself every day, to live as Christ. You know, if I live today, I'm going to be a good steward, but to die is gain, right? I've just had some family members die in the last 12 months, and they, they were Christians, and it's, you know, it's gain. It's just joy and gain. Yes, I miss them, but it's joy and gain for the true believer. And Paul says, hey, we are good courage, you know. We long to be in heaven with Christ, but if we are still here, we will be of good courage in our earthly bodies. You heard me read the text. Verse 9, whether in the body or not, our ambition is to please God. Again, when you wake up in the morning and you roll out of bed, what's your ambition? Where does God fit? Is he first or is he like down here? If I can fit God in with all of my secular obligations and family obligations and, you know, business obligations and social obligations, maybe I can fit God in here. Man, you read the Bible and it's just, bam. It's just what it is, right? <laughs> it's just what it is. He says... My ambition is to please the Lord. It's his aim, his goal, objective, aspiration. It's his desire to please the Lord. So I'm asking you, I don't know all of you. I don't know if you're Christians or not. I don't know if you're merely religious or not. I don't know. But this is what Christianity looks like. This is what it looks like. Paul was driven. He set his, high, his, his, his sights as high as a man can set them to please God. Are you ambitious to make a million on the other side of eternity? Who cares? If you're written up in the quarterly journal, who cares? If you get the big promotion, who cares? Are you ambitious to please God?
don't talk to me about any other kind of ambition. I'm not interested. Yeah, it's good. You know, it's good to be competent at your job and, and to honor the Lord in your work, of course. But God help you if that's your highest ambition. God help you. Paul writes, Galatians 1.10, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? I'll ask you. Or am I striving to please men? I'll ask you. If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Do you see right here? You see what he says? He says, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a demarcation here. You can't be half in, half out. There's a whole kind of black and white demarcation. You're either seeking to please men or you're the bondservant of Christ. You can't do both. Romans 1, pardon me, Romans 12, 1. He says, I present myself a living sacrifice acceptable to God. Philippians 1.20, I exalt Christ in my body, whether by my life or by my death. Since Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he has taken the long view. And I'm going to use the R word, which I use on occasion. He was radical about it. Have you ever done anything radical in your life because you love Jesus? Ever? I think it's a good question for us to consider. Paul was full speed ahead. He was irrepressible. He wasn't pointing at the next job, the next raise, or his retirement. He was pointing at the well done, Matthew chapter 25. He was pointing at the well done. He was like that Olympic runner. He was going to, he's pointing at the gold medal stand at the Bema seat. 2 Corinthians 5.10, here it is. I'm going to reread that one. For we must all, these are believers, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is not about salvation, this is about reward. That each one may be recompensed, you're going to be recompensed for your stewardship. You haven't earned your salvation, but you've earned your reward. Even though God's done all the heavy lifting. I mean, it boggles my mind. That, you, that one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We must all appear. We will all stand before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. Again, this is about the parables of the talents and minas. Every steward will give an accounting of their life and the gifts God had poured into their lives, how did they use them for the glory of God or for the glory of themselves? And I love it. It's according to their ability. You don't have to be a great preacher. You don't have to be a missionary. But you do have to magnify Christ in your marriage. You do have to magnify Christ at your work. You do have to magnify Christ at the university. That's your job. You're a missionary at the university, right? You're a missionary in the home. You're, yeah. We're all preachers, okay? I just happen to do it for a living. You're all supposed to be preachers. And you have more credibility out there than I have. You know you, know you do, right? Out in the world, you have more credibility than I have. Because you know what people say to me? Well, you get paid for it. You know, you're getting paid to do it. You don't get paid to do it. So... Take advantage of the advantage you have over me. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We'll be recompensed for our deeds according to whether they are good or bad. So what will this be like? 
what would it be like to, to, to take a look at our, 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 our stewardship? Um, I thought of three things. One, our good deeds that we're really proud of. You know, sometimes you think, wow, God, man, God's, God's got to love me today, man. I'm, I'm really banging it today, right? I'm, I'm, I'm all that today. You know what? I think that's Woodhay and Stubble. <laughs> I think if you're all in, if you're all in it, if you're all in it, I don't think that's going to be something the Lord's going to bring up. You know what I think? I think the very simple, ordinary service that we rendered, I think that's gold. Matthew 10, the Matthew 10 thing, when you give a cup of cold water, you will not lose your reward. The simple things, the humble things, you know, I think there's going to be a huge reward in that. Our prideful religious things, not so much, if at all. Thirdly, I think we're going to realize <laughs> at the Bema seat, it was all God, right? We're going to see that, you know, the, the, the things that I did do was by the, by, by the fact that, that he elected me and he atoned for my sin and he regenerated me and he indwells me. It's all God, and yet he's going to reward me for it. It's unbelievable. It really is. This Greek word for judgment seat, I've already used it, is bima. Um, some scholars believe that the raised marble platform still visible there today is where Paul was falsely charged. Um, guess what else the Bema seat was used for in ancient Greece? You guessed it, for the Olympic victors. Preeminently, this is what God is communicating to us about the judgment seat, about the Bema. It is not judicial. It's about acknowledging your stewardship. That's what it's about. And remember what Jesus said over in Luke 9, uh, 9 and 10 about the human master and his servant. Listen to these words. The master does not thank the servant for doing what he is commanded to do. Although God does. Listen to what he says. For doing what he ought to do. That is his duty. Stewardship's your duty. But God's going to reward you for it. I don't understand this except that God is, I almost sang the song again, he's a good, good father, right? <laughs> he shouldn't, we just did what we ought to do. We just did what we're supposed to do, what we were commanded to do. Why should I get reward? That's what a slave does. You know the mo most uh, frequently used word to describe a Christian in the New Testament? If you don't know this, you have to know this. It's the word doulos. Who knows what the word doulos means? Slave. If you don't see yourself as a slave of Christ, you've not understood. You've not understood. Jesus goes on to say, you should say we are unworthy servants. Yes, of course we are. We have only done that which we ought to have done. <laughs> I think one thing we're seeing here, Jesus is talking about is that God is never in our debt. He doesn't owe you anything but justice. And that flows from his character. He only owes you justice. You are a rebel. You are a sinner. You have not loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength every second of your life. Therefore, you're guilty. Because he is worthy of that. So you are. You are a rebel. And then he graciously, you know, 
employs us as a slave and we just simply do what we ought to do, be in charge of 10 cities forever, right? I mean, it's just phenomenal to me. It's phenomenal to me. Why should he reward us for that which we should do anyway? These rewards are simply, they're really unnecessary, they're uncalled for, they're unjustified, but it's just in the good, good father's heart to do it. <laughs> you got to get jazzed about it, man. So we're going to turn over to 1 Corinthians 3 just real quick. 1 Corinthians 3, I'm doing pretty good, I think. 1 Corinthians 3, um, you'll be familiar with the text, pretty famous. I'll pick up here verse 8, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 8. The context here is Paul's contrasting his work with that of Apollos. Paul planted, Apollos watered. Verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 3. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. There it is again. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. Each will receive his own reward according to his labor. The parable of the talents, the parable of the minnows. This is not salvation. This is reward. We are God's fellow workers in God's field. And let me just refute some false teaching. I, it, it's not really that prevalent, but you hear this sometimes about this 1 Corinthians 3 text. Some have said that the Bema Seat judgment is about sins we committed after we were saved. This is false. That they're sins that we never confessed. This is false. The, these are not biblical assertions. The Bema Seat is clearly about being rewarded for our stewardship. Were we faithful or not. Now I'm going to read verse 10. And if you'll pick up with me, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful. I want you to note that. Be careful how you build. We all build on the same foundation, which is Christ. God says, be careful how you do it, right? Verse 11, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident. You're not fooling anybody. <laughs> Maybe yourself. Are you building with, you know, uh, gold, silver, precious stones? Or are you, a, as one theologian said, are you a stubble Christian? Are you a stubble steward? The man's work will become evident, verse 13, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet as though, pardon me, as through fire. Again, Christ is our foundation. We are to build upon it. So I'm going to ask you again, how are you building? How are you building? With your life, the parable of the minas. How are you using your gifts? The parable of the talents. Let me ask you this. If money was no object, if you had unlimited resources, what kind of temple would you seek to build for God? You know, I, I, I've always, I, I'm guilty. 
just like you are probably, but I, I, I don't like this. I don't like it in myself. I don't like to hear it. I can't do that. You've just insulted God. If God is calling you to a thing, if God commands you to a thing, you can do it because He will give you what you need, right? He will give you everything you need. So don't insult God. You know, I tell people, okay, uh, okay, I'm not going to say it, what I say sometimes. But, okay, I'm going to say it. Don't come in here if you're going to insult God. We're in here to tremble before Jehovah God and then get up and go in the world and do what He says. Listen, life's too short to play any other kind of game. This is the game. This is the one. God calls the shots. It's His universe, like Francis Chan says. If you don't like it, get your own cosmos. Right? But if you can't work up a cosmos, you better fall in line with what the Creator has said. You have all that you need. You have unlimited resources to build that temple, which is your life and stewardship. 1 Corinthians 3.16, you are the temple of God. How are you building? Right? And brother and sisters, you have everything you need. The third, third member of the Trinity, Trinity indwells you. And it's an insult to say, well, I can't do that. Because I don't think the, the, the third member of the Trinity is able to do that. He can't, he can't empower me and, 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 you know, give me what I need. We're insulting God when we think and talk this way. I want to encourage you that you have no constraints. I just love that. Be careful how you build. Be careful how you build. How have you built with the life and abilities God has given you. So maybe at the beam of seat, it, it, some of these things may come up. I've just, got a, I've just got a laundry list here, very quick. Did you abide in the vine? Did you allow the Spirit of God to flow through you? Did you do good works to be seen of men or because you love Christ? Did you, like the Ephesians, grow weary of well-doing? Did you leave your first love? Did you merely perform outwardly or did you follow God with all your heart? Did you radically believe and radically obey the words of God by faith? Did you live in such a way that people inquired about the hope that was within you, 1 Peter 3? Did you build and live like you, were really, like you really believed Hebrews 11, 6? Like not only God is, who cares that you believe God is? The devil believes that God is. There's no virtue in believing God is. Do you believe God's good and will you stake your life on it? This is what, <laughs> this is, well, go read Hebrews 11 for yourself. Are you a stubble saint? There it is. Are you a stubble saint? Are you building with gold, silver, and precious stones? And what's this about 15? The man whose work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he will be saved. Again, it's clear we're not talking about salvation, but what he thought he had done in the body was all pride, ego, and vanity. And it was so superficial that it's all burned up. Oh, I had a little church attendance. Bam, it's gone. Right? Church attendance is good. Not throwing off on church attendance. But that can't be, that can't be the high water mark for you. Or you're in big trouble on the last day. 
So why have I been pressing this point home the last two weeks about our stewardship before God for the endowments that he has given us? Because he is allowing us to dramatically impact our own eternity. Okay? I've got, I'm going to, I'm going to give up on a few things I'm not going to say for the sake of time. Our earthly stewardship profoundly informs not only the depth with which we will be able to grasp the magnificence of God. Let me read Edwards again. The holiest of saints will have a greater capacity to see further into the divine perfections of God than others do. So they penetrate further into the vast and infinite distance that is between the creature and God. But our earthly stewardship will also affect our position, authority, and rule and reign in the new heaven and new earth. It's about capacity, which if you look up the synonyms for capacity, it's, it, it, you get the synonyms volume, size, dimensions, amount, scope, and role. You're impacting that with your faithfulness as a steward or your lack of faithfulness as a steward. Are you going to be like Edwards? Are you looking at the other world? Are you gonna, you're going to uh, obtain as much happiness as you can in the other world, or is it all about here for you, right? God's just trying to get us to look up. He's just trying to get us to, you know, get a biblical perspective on this life and this world, which is always set your mind on the things above. It's always that. It is always that. Again, this is fascinating to me. My earthly stewardship is informing the scope of my eternity when in fact God has done all the heavy lifting. So just like the Olympic marathon runner relentlessly pointing toward the metal platform, I'm exhorting you to relentlessly point at the Bema seat. And if you don't, it's on you. It's, it's just on you. Maybe it's unfortunate that some of you walked in here today you're accountable for this text now. You're accountable. You know what God expects. You know what he expects. He expects you to be like that Olympic marathon runner pointing at the Bema seat. And it will not be a serendipitous event. What does serendipitous mean? It's not by chance or accident that you land there, that you end up there receiving the reward of God. It's because you've given yourself to it. You've given yourself to that for the balance of your life since you've been converted. That athlete was motivated. He was focused. He was driven. He was unwavering. Does that describe your Christianity? If you, un if you have understood and believed your Bible, it would describe your Christianity. So, you're building your eternity right now. I lovingly ask you again, how are you building. In preparing this mini sermon series on heaven, I realized I am not thinking about this enough. <laughs> okay? I'm not. I'm just making a, a confession to you. I'm not thinking about this enough. Not to the degree that I should. So, as is always true, the preacher's preaching to himself, but I am also preaching to you that you might begin to think and meditate and dream and even fantasize about the new heaven and new earth and what it will be like to stand before your creator and redeemer on 
that day at the Bema seat. You may have heard the old saying, those folks are so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. I fear that the opposite is true for many people who call themselves Christians. They are so earthly minded that they are no heavenly good. So I'll close with 2 John 1.8. God says, watch yourselves that you might not lose what you have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. I'm going to read it again. Watch yourselves that you might not lose what you have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. It's what I want for you. It's what I want for each of you. It's what I want for each of you. It's what I want for myself. It's what God's called us to, man. <laughs> you know, it's not, we, it, you know, we're, we're not like the world. We don't live like the world. We don't care about, the, we, we don't care about the things the world cares about, cares about. We care about what God cares about. And we know we're out of here. We're a vapor upon the earth, right? We're a vapor. We're out of here. We're not here to stay. We're here to go. So I exhort you to prepare. I exhort you to prepare for the day you stand before your master and you look into his eyes. You know, I have to work this in. I was thinking about it last night. You know, when you stand before the God before whom mountains melt like wax, that God, not, not the pseudo Jesus that your average church preaches anymore. I'm talking about the God before whom mountains melt like wax, that God, that God you will look into his eyes. So I'm exhorting you to be ready and to be a good steward. Let's pray together.